don't fake add value. Meaning just because you want something, a signed contract, this or that, like don't add value for the sake of doing it, right? If you're gonna do it, just do it and in return, if you gain something great, if not, play the long game. Whoever gets started in sales, it's not fun being rejected. It's not fun getting no. Yeah. And you do it enough times that you become, frankly, like you don't even care. I used to take the no so freaking personal. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm gonna f***ing fire this guy. Like that, I used to like, when people said no, I used to be like, I am gonna do everything in my power to get this person fired. Now I go, oh, wait, Hoya, welcome to the podcast, man. Gents, thanks for having me. It's always nice to be on the other side. So excited to be here. So you're in large part responsible for, I would say, a majority of just community within SaaS as a whole. Uh, you could say that. It's it's uh, it's about giving, right? It's about paying it forward. So uh, part of it is I get, I've gotten a lot back from people that have paid it forward. So I'm just starting the chain reaction by making sure it gets passed on to the next person. How did you even end up in this position in the first place? luck, but also a lot of hard work. I'll give you the backstory. I thought for the longest time I wanted to go in poli sci. So I'm starting way back. Yeah. Um, and look, this is what happens, right? When, when you go do something and I think it's what's wrong with our education system is like you get your degree and then you go to Washington DC and you're like, holy cow, what I just studied is nothing I want to do with my life. Right. So that's, Ouch. that's kind of what happened to me. I don't know if that's happened to other people. Yeah. Um, Went back home, uh, not knowing what I wanted to do. I knew I was doing this thing, sales through college, paying for it. I was pretty good at it. And someone's like, hey, why don't you just try your thing in software sales? And this is my last semester um, at Chapman down in Southern California where I went. Um, and it's hard to get recruited at a Chapman by like a big school. And um, I don't know if it was my research or how I found out. Everyone was like, hey, go start at a big company because they train you, right? They teach you the fundamentals in sales. So I was lucky enough to sneak into a career fair at uh, USC. Uh, a guy that ended up being my manager for a long time hired me, and he hired me on the spot because I had snuck into the career fair. He's like, that's the type Wait, of person. How did you sneak in? Like, is it that? It wasn't that hard. So you, you just looked up, like, different career fairs? I looked up different career fairs, and I'm like, oh, USC's there. And they had, like, any notable brand that you want to be a part of. SAP, Oracle, you yeah. name it, that was there. And... The guy that hired me, his name is Jason Treffs. Um, he was so impressed I would sneak in. And his wife is Lebanese and I'm Iranian. For whatever reason, he thought like, oh, Middle Eastern, let's connect. Yeah. So we co <laughs> we connected and then he hired me. And then um, the I I owe a lot of gratitude to Oracle because they train you right right out of school. They teach you some of the fundamentals, mm -hmm. sales process. It's a give and a take. Like some of the things I think you need in sales, I'd learned there. But ultimately, I went into the... Uh, uh, startup ecosystem. I, I joined a young little startup called Hacker Inc. Um, helped them scale from zero to ten. In that process, I met a guy named Brendan Cassidy and Jason Tra Jason uh, Lemkin, who for the most part um, have been the founders of Saster, and that's how I got started. Mm. Um, so part of it is luck because our paths crossed, but part of it is also you have to work hard, right? You have to put some points on the board for them to keep endorsing you and keep wanting to work with you. Well, speaking of luck, this podcast would not exist without Poya. What do you mean? I don't think you know. I don't know. Well, the, the thing is, so you got me my last job. Yes, that's true. So if if it wasn't at like 
the time around the July, August, and I wasn't working like European hours, yeah, I would have never been able to come here with him and figure out. Look at that. Because oh, wow. we had come here for a while just working. He had some startups yeah. and I saw this studio and I was like, no one's using this. I was like, we should start a podcast. We're both, you know, we like media. We should try it with the founders. I remember we talked about this actually. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, dude, you should go for it. And you were doing the so he was doing his podcast already. Oh, that was that was you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's full circle. Yeah. That's dope. Look so at that. so yeah, it's it's you welcome, Omar. You and welcome startup so much. Both of you I met at Startup Grind. I didn't oh, know. Oh, you met before. at Startup Grind. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, we, yeah. I tried getting them to sponsor and I failed. Yeah. <laughs> I tried not, getting them to buy and I failed. <laughs> that's true, you did, huh? We both are failures. Yeah. And then the company failed. The whole company failed. <laughs> hey, that one we won't laugh about that one. That one. They tried, right? You gotta, well, you gotta be kind yeah. to founders. They, Took a few swings, yeah, close but no cigar. Yeah, but that, so so I guess what what happened? I guess now everything's starting to make sense. So we were, we were, what was this like June, July? We were yeah. working on the last thing I was working on, or I guess now it was a couple of things ago. But it was essentially Airbnb for coworking, and oh, so cool. we tried selling these guys because I was like, okay, Hierarch, you guys have a lot of people. It would make yeah. sense for you to maybe you know buy the subscription and have offices basically everywhere. And then Vishal thought it was cool. But somehow things like one thing led to another and he ends up joining like the initial like founding team, right? With the, pro with the idea, the idea of being like, okay, he would help us scale that up in terms of like the sales side, marketing, et cetera. And then that turned into another thing, which turned into another thing, but we were just consistently showing up like pretty often yeah. in the office. And I, I guess, yeah, you learned about this. Well, you knew about Founders Inc. Yeah, before I, that. I, I was coming in before. context on Founders um, Inc. Right. So I was, I, I, I met Furcon. In he's the guy who started Founders Inc. I met him in February at ETH Denver, um, so crypto conference in Denver, and he basically invited me to work out of the office. And so I came earlier when this floor didn't even exist. And then once I started working on Tivity, which was the startup, I kind of told him about it. And he was like, "Oh, this is kind of cool. You should come work out of the office sometimes." That turned into another app idea, and while we were working on that, we started the podcast. Amazing, yeah, full circle. Um, but I guess one thing that would be interesting because you obviously have a lot of experience with kind of the GTM element. And for people that don't know, GTM is like, it means go to, go to market, right? And it's like the initial process of, of bringing your product to the market. So I have some scenarios for you and I want to see how you would take these apps to market if okay. you were kind of consulting. Let's do it. The first one is a productivity app. This is actually what I started working on after Tivity. It was essentially a Mac menu bar app that you could text tasks to and it would show up in your menu bar. The idea being it would use AI to um, kind of sort through things and figure out when you're most productive. How would you take that to market? Give me a use case really quick. Like, yeah. how would a customer use this? So I think the biggest thing for this one is it's text to task. So you'll text like a number, however you text a friend. It'll send it to the Mac Mini Bar app. Okay. And then it'll display the to-do list tasks every day. It'll mm -hmm. be ranked based on activity of those tasks, like importance. Okay. And then it'll basically relay, this is your most important task of the day. And it'll kind of keep reminding you about that one specific one. So every day you basically can pick, this is the most important task of the day. And I have five other things. And you know how it is. You get, you put out fires, you, you catch some stuff, but it'll keep reminding you of that one. So it's more of a consumer app. Definitely more consumer. More consumer, but like what we want to get your head is, is there a way that can turn enterprise? How would you, if you're advising on go to market, maybe you see this as, well, there's a better B2B play. How can that kind of evolve? You can even critique the product if you want. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to critique because 
you gotta, you know, sometimes throw um, throw pasta at the wall and see what sticks, right? Okay. It's it. So what I'm trying to basically say is that before going to market, I would try just getting as many people to use it. Mm-hmm. I would try yeah. getting some adoption, some usage, um, and then I would find out if I can. If I would just go interview, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 users and see if I can find any overlaps between the use cases, right? Find out like, hey, am I finding any stories where I can relate to these things? So like, I'll give you an example. There's a company called Plato, Plato HQ. Um, they do engineering leadership. The founders had this experience where they start a company. It was a, it was basically a, a like an Expensify, but it integrated with Slack, right? Um, they hired a bunch of engineers. Next thing you know, they moved from being engineering leader uh, engineers to being managers, right? One way or another, they learned that management and engineering is not the same thing. So after a few months, their whole engineering team quit on them, right? Wow. Just wow. because they were bad managers. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, hey, we can't be the only people that have gone through this, you know, shift. Yeah. Next thing you know, once they start being vulnerable and sharing that story, everyone's like, that is such a hard you know, pivot to make going mm. from an individual contributor to a manager, right? So they start with this company of like, hey, what if we have a mentoring community where someone outside your organization pays it forward to the next person, right? Mm. But what ended up happening is how they scaled this company is they rolled it out for free to a bunch of different people and they would just jump on calls and interview people. And what they found is one of their key scalable, repeatable stories they kept hearing is how a CTO would go from being the guy that wrote code or a gal that wrote code. As soon as the company needed to scale, they had to pivot to being a manager. Mm. And that consistently came up that they're like, hey, that transition of going an individual contributor to manager is hard. So what what I'm trying to say is the first thing I would do is I would just try getting a lot of people to use product and see if there is some overlap that keeps coming up on ways you can have a couple of consistent successes. In their case, it was CTOs mm. and go find more CTOs that could probably resonate with that problem. Well, that's great advice considering we did not do that. True, so, we, we did not. So there are some useful nuggets in there. So one thing that's interesting is I've had people ask me about like marketing, right? So they'll come to me with a product or a startup idea and they'll be like, how would you market it? And so my thing has always been, um, you know, paid ads, social media strategy, all of that is like pouring gasoline on a fire, right? But if you don't have a fire and you're just left with like a dry log, Pouring gasoline won't really do much on that. And so you kind of have to wait until you have some semblance of maybe product market fit or at least a good response um, before you start mar- marketing it. But it's interesting how you how you put it out in terms of finding the right customer and then just going and doing like lead gen on, on more customers exactly like that. The next scenario we have is for a venture fund. Okay. So the story is now you've just raised, let's just say four or $500,000, right? So like very small for, 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 a venture, uh, for a venture fund, right? You have a thesis. Let's just say it is, I don't even know. Let's say people under 21 years old who are working in AI. How would you go about letting people know about it? How would you go about finding the first investments? Great question. Look, I, I've gone through this because I angel invest, right? Mm-hmm. And I have a thesis. There's an area where I play really nicely. So I've, I've kind of had to do this, right? Yeah. But my first uh, thesis about this is where do where do these people hang out, right? So I I would say probably universities, right? Then I would go pick the under the radar universities that not many people have heard. of. I'm sure you're going to be competing with a lot of people in, at Stanford, right? Yeah. Some of these tier one programs. Let's go find the tier two programs that are maybe under the radar, right? Maybe it's Drexel University, you know, I'm just making this up. It, it might be some of those, yeah. some of those schools that the other VC firms that have way more money than you and way more dough that don't have. Right. Yeah. So 
one aspect of it is where do these people hang out? Go find them, go meet them, right? And what I would do is go find out whoever is their hero in those in those communities. It could be a professor, it could be a teacher, it could be, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would try doing whatever I can to befriend them, right? And make myself look like as a mini expert that I'm interested in looking at this, right? So that that's part of it. Yeah. Part part of it is also like go ask for feedback, right? If if Drexel University students is my target audience, that's who I want to get in front of, give them money. Maybe they have this AI program, right? I would just go ask them for feedback on like, hey, how do I learn about AI? You know, just stupid basic questions. And indirectly, maybe I can befriend them to, you know, get the name out. But I would I would do more of a grassroots campaign versus anything else. So Morning Brew, the way they started was, um, what was it? They went to colleges, right? And they actually put out a sheet of paper. They made everyone pass it around the room where they put down their email. Um, I think they used a sheet of paper because they said if they sent a link, people wouldn't convert, yeah. right? But if they had a sheet of paper, you know, everyone would just go around, okay, tech business news, they'd go to business classes, et cetera. Um, and I think they also, I don't think they did it at big colleges. I think they just did it at their local college. But it's interesting to see that approach kind of taken to a venture model. I, I'm only saying that because you said under 21 um, as one of the caveats, right? If that wasn't a caveat, maybe I would go find incubators that are under the radar. But anyway. But the common thread, I mean, you're going, you're encouraging going, make having these face-to-face meetings or even in the other one, talk to your customers and be very active with getting feedback. Like that's a common thread, which you might not normally hear when you get advice, right? At a pretty early stage or even scouting. That's my style, yeah. right? I, I think, look, one, one of the things uh, is dangerous is when it comes to advice is what may work for me may not work for other people, right? Mm. So any piece of advice I give is awareness is really important, mm. right? Meaning for me, I'm good in person. I'm charismatic. I can hang out. I can relate to people, right? Like that's that's my strength. So before going and doing anything, you just got also got to know your awareness, mm. right? But at the end of the day, I think one commonality almost every entrepreneur, any business executive you talk to can relate to is like, if you want something done, go talk to the people that you want, you know, yeah. done. You're not going to move anything unless you go and have conversations. Mm. When you angel invest, is it all personal funds or have you raised kind of like, you know, from LPs? I, I've, everything is my own money. And when I say angel invest, like the biggest check I've ever done is 25K, mm-hmm. uh, but the average check is usually 5K, right? And my rule of thumb is it's people that I've had to work with, like people I've had to know for a long time. Um, and I have to be one of the first checks. Otherwise, it just doesn't, it, it's not going to work, you know, for the returns. Would you ever think about raising money from, you know, your friends or putting together like a small rolling fund and deploying other people's money? There's always a possibility for that, but it's a few years out, right? Because it's, um, there's a lot of people that do too much, in mm-hmm. my opinion, and I'm one of them. I, I get impatient, so I always have to have like one or two or three projects. I feel that. But, but there is something to having focus, right, and going really deep in something. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now I try really hard not to do more than two, at most three things at a time. So if you want to really do the investing thing correctly, right, you got to dedicate more time than I have um, the capacity to do today. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, last scenario for GTM. A dev tool. Okay. So this is something I think a couple people at Founders Inc. are working on. Um, so let's just take one of our friend Johnny's companies, for example. Let's say you're building a DevOps, so like an infrastructure, kind of like one layer on top of AWS um, for people who are building projects. Now, that could be companies, you know, with 
large scale products. And that could also be startups that are still trying to build their MVP. How would you go about taking that to market? It, does this person have clients, customers today or no? Like no customers, no nothing. Let's they, say you're starting do. from zero. Oh. Uh, for the sake of the scenario, they, they, they do, but right. But for the sake of the scenario, you're starting with zero. You have a working product. Let's say you have a few. I think that would make it easier. Sure. I think either right. one. It, it, look, if I, if I don't have customers today, the way I would do it is I would, I would start with my network, right? People I trust. I wouldn't even sell them. I would go ask them for feedback, mm -hmm. right? Hey, this, this is why we got started. I, I learned that this is the problem statement, right? Like people... I, I learned in Plato's case, right? Technically, they're selling engineering. As soon as I made the transition from being an individual contributor to management, I sucked, right? Yeah. I needed some help, right? And my theory is getting help from someone that's been there, done that, that's in engineering, but is outside of your organization is the best way to do it, mm. right? So that's, this is how we're solving for that problem. What's your feedback? Like, what's your take? Do you think this would work? Do you want to give this a try, right? And in return for you giving this a try, maybe we can make you an advisor in the company, right? So set aside the mm. percentage of your cap table in return for these people helping you out, getting you adoption, getting you usage, right? Maybe they get a little stake, a tiny, tiny, tiny of a stake in the company. Right? How much? How, how much percent would you give? Just for a range. I it depends, but it depends on their commitment, right? If they're if they're willing to give a lot, I would, you know, you could also do thresholds, but at, right off the bat, like give them ten thousand shares, right? It's an arbitrary number, but at least it it thanks them, right? It puts some skin in the game. Mm, definitely. So at, at the beginning, I think that's one way of getting usage. Um, and and if if they're not interested, ask them to make in a connection. You know, like at yeah. the end of like end end of the call, in addition to the feedback, hey, who else in your network can I talk to? Right? It, again, it goes back to that chain reaction you start with one you go to the next um, if you don't have anyone in your network guess what like there's easy ways to identify who can be potentially a customer right write a very very personalized email right um and then don't sell them don't do anything it's like hey can i just pick your brain and get your feedback on what i'm working on and in return offer the opportunity to donate um to a charity of their choice right you're taking yeah, some other time right mm -hmm. like it's like, hey, I, I find your time valuable. So in return for your feedback, I'll donate to a charity of your choice, right? Mm -hmm. So in, initially, that's what I would do. Now, in terms of how do I scale? Let's just say in this scenario, I have some customers. It goes back to my original point, which is, can you identify like some ideal characteristics of what makes your ideal customer profile, right? So again, in Plato's case, it was companies where it was a first-time CTO, and they overnight got some funding and they had to go from a team of two engineers to a team of five, six, seven engineers, mm -hmm. right? So again, this IC had to go from a playing a player coach of like, you know, maybe I'm doing a little management to truly being a manager, right? Mm -hmm. And almost always those people will resonate with the problem statement you're trying to find. Mm. So I, I said that was the last one, but I have another one. Sure. You do have a podcast. I do. How many episodes have you filmed? 150. Wow. wow. Okay. That's a lot. Um, if you were to start a podcast tomorrow, let's just take the target demographic of our podcast. So okay. the general kind of founder like population, yeah. how would you go about, you know, launching your first five episodes? How would I go about launching my first five episodes? I would go and find folks that have a very strong distribution, right? For like, you guys want to go after founders. So who has a 
big distribution of founders. Maybe Jason Lemkin at Saster, right? Mm. Maybe Harry Stebbings at uh, maybe Sam Sam Parr, right? Like folks that have that distribution. And I would try interviewing them on something that they've not been interviewed on, right? Um, like something completely unique, right? Yeah. So maybe for Sam Parr is like, hey, I I learned that over the years, you've done a lot of experiments. Um, you stop drinking, you work out a lot. Like where, where does that come from, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe yeah. it's like, let, let's talk through that, right? The first time you stopped drinking, how hard was it? Right. So not about their company or not, directly nothing. about, it, yeah. You know, yeah. like so people that have a strong, like just do something a little different because again, you have to differentiate yourself from all the other podcast channels out there. Yeah. Anyway, if, again, that's only if the outcome is to get more founders to listen to your podcast, right? What are other outcomes? It's like sponsorships. Sponsorships, right? If I want, hey, if I, if I, if I, if the goal here is, hey, I want to go get a hundred K, right? And you're selling to founders. Maybe you go find out what Brex wants, what mm, Ramp yeah. wants, what, you know, people that sell to founders, like what do they care about in this market and see if you can come up with a product offer. For them. Mm. Interesting. How would you go about reaching out to these founders beyond obviously having something different to talk about that no one's ever interviewed them on helps? Um, would you be reaching out to them on Twitter? I know people make TikToks and at the person, people tweet at people. In general, right? Whether it's getting a founder on your podcast, getting your first client, getting whatever you want to call it. the way mm -hmm. I think about the way I think about this is my first asset is do I know this person? Can I reach out to them directly? Right. Yeah. If I have a relationship, great. That makes it easier. So, first place I go is my network. Second is if I don't know someone, does someone in my network that trusts me, that I trust them, they vouch for me? Do they know? So in this case, Vishal. Hey, you're looking for a job. I just learned this other company is looking to hire an event manager. Yeah. Let me ask him if he would be open to an intro. Hey, Kave, I just learned that you're looking for an event manager. Are you mm -hmm. okay if if I make a connection with this guy named Vishal? I've known him for a couple months. I would endorse him, right? So that's the second way I would go, right? In this case, Sam Parr, right? If I'm trying to get his attention, I am sure there's mutual connections I have. Maybe Jason Lemkin, maybe... Brian Hellingen, who's the CEO of, of HubSpot, right? Like maybe I can reach out to those folks and ask for an introduction to him, right? Mm. Um, with that said, I think, I know you said your first five founders. I, I, I think there's something about waiting until you build something before you go out to them. Yeah. Because you almost have to have a really, you know, if you're yeah, going to yeah. take away from their team, you got to make sure you're Offerings. maximize your offering, right? You get one pitch. Yeah, that's interesting. That's something we were thinking about too when we, initially structured our guest list for like the first, I guess, season. We get we get asked, because obviously we're friends with like Furkan Farza, some of the kind of bigger names in Founders Inc. Um, and people have always guessed that they would be our first few episodes. In our mind, we're like, okay, no, we're waiting until we have something a little more substantial. And then almost using them as the, the gasoline to the fire as a way of even growing our podcast. So I asked, uh, this is funny you bring this up. So my podcast is mainly about SaaS founders, right? It's very SaaS focused. It digs on their personal side, but it also like talks on every episode, one or two things that SaaS leaders should know about. I could have right at the gun, right out of the gate, went to Jason Lemkin, right? Mm -hmm. And had asked him, Hey, do you want to jump on this podcast? Yeah. I waited until my hundredth episode to go ask him. Right. Oh, um, and to the States, actually the most listened to episode because like it was designed that way. 
But what I'm trying to say is you have to have a little distribution because part of this is also, you know, they, they have to. And that's the CEO at the company you were working for. Yeah. For context, right? Sorry. Gotcha. gotcha. Wait, how did you design it that way for it to be your most listened to episode? Uh, well, Jason has a really strong distribution, gotcha. right? Whereas the other audiences don't, doesn't ha don't have the distribution he does, right? For sure. So when he promotes it to his 170,000 followers, right? Like by default, more people are going to listen to that than anything else. Mm. That makes sense. And then the other thing is you have a lot of interesting people in your network. Um, I think just from being in SF for a while, you will start to make these connections of just like interesting people. What's a way to keep in touch with them um, so that, you know, when the time comes where you have something to offer or maybe there's something, a, fa a favor that they could do for you that you could ask that? Look, my, my thing is it's not, um, I try not keeping score. Yeah. Um, I genuinely, what I'm trying to say is most people I've met are good people. Um, so what this goes again, back to like being a little more deliberate and knowing what you value in life. So my top three values in life, number one is health. Um, number two is quality relationships, right? With my wife, with my family, so on and so forth. But one of the things I do is if there are people I want to keep in touch with, I have a spreadsheet and I'm religious about this, like this spreadsheet where Every day I go through it, and if there are friends that are in my personal network that I haven't talked to since middle school, if there are people that I've worked with, I basically do what I can to ensure I, at the very, very, very least, reach out to them um, in that day, right? Mm. So that's typically how I do it, mm. to say the least. How do you segment that? Uh, I have different tabs, and those different tabs are by how I've met those people over the years. Mm. So. It's high school, it's middle school, it's uh, college, it's people I worked with at Oracle, it's people I worked with at HackRank, so on and so forth. Mm. My rule of thumb in general, right, to be friending people is just give, 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 right? Well, honestly, one of the reasons I started the podcast is um, at Saster, Jason and the team don't want their content diluted by making it pay to play, right? But a lot of the times these sponsors, right, have a great story to tell. So that's, that becomes a good way where I'm interested about them sharing their stories about how they started their company, what have they learned, right? Yeah. So there's a selfish interest for me, but in return, I get to build that relationship in a unique, organic way. But there's also a Saster podcast. There right? is a Saster podcast, and Harry Stebbings, who runs the 20 Minute VC, used to run it. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, he was, wow. he was the, the one that- TikToks everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he was actually the one that I would say was foundational in getting it started. But a couple of years ago, the team made the decision to- repurpose our event content mm -hmm. which makes sense like hey what the top performing uh presentations at event let's just repurpose them and you know have another channel to distribute it to the world mm. would you say most of your events are like presentation informational or are they a lot of them just like meet and greet sell open floor people just talk to each other yeah i would say historically pre-pandemic it was content was a big big driver because the event used to happen once or twice a year right yeah. so there was something magical about going and meeting the ceos of zoom and slack right that was at that time very innovative um over time though if you think about it a lot of that differentiator has diminished because yeah. eric yuan from zoom or Stuart Butterfield from slack right they can go to other people's events or they can frankly do the presentation th themselves right mm -hmm. in other words you can see the same presentation on youtube so to us i would say a big differentiator is the ability to network to connect with people whether it's about through mentoring or frankly organically having some of the serendipity that you wanted earlier, right? You said, hey, there was something magical about meeting people in San Francisco. One of my favorite parts about living in San Francisco the last couple of years was the ability 
to like just be on the street and connect with someone that I've worked with indirectly. That's right. True. Mm. So like that serendipity is so magical. It's so fun. And and you get that at events, right? Um, especially at events where you've been in the industry for a long time. What's your favorite type of event to go to or host? Well, hosting's never fun, <laughs> right? You're because especially for conferences where people like hosting's fun for per- personal reasons. Like if you're not, you know, like bringing people together, um, that that's always fun. Like during Christmas, like bringing childhood friends or high school friends, like that's that's always magical. But hosting events where people pay from a sponsorship perspective, yeah. no matter what. You could do 99 things correctly. The one thing you do incorrectly, that's what they highlight. Like it's just, it's, yeah. it's so from, rough. from that perspective, it's, and there's so much attention to detail, you're bound to mess things up. Um, but my favorite events, hands down to host, uh, we did this a couple of months ago at Startup Grind, where we just literally bought out a bar. We met their minimum. You invite, you handpick high curated quality people that have value to add, right? but there is some sort of a commonality between all of them. So in this case, it was revenue leaders at SaaS companies. Um, but when I say SaaS companies, like later stage SaaS companies, like they're way past product market fit. So they, they're they all, yeah. you know. This was the raffle one? This was the raffle one where we had oh. about 100 people. So like a lot of high value, like revenue leaders and then me. <laughs> you were a revenue leader, <laughs> come on. In one way or another, by that, by... The world's definition in March, right? You were high value. You guys had raised money. There we go. Thank you. He said in the world's definition in March. I love how can we can we put that on a T-shirt for me? Absolutely. In the world's definition at that moment in March. Now now it's changed. (laughs) Just like in parentheses, just in March. (laughs) Whereas in September, everyone laughs at you. Like you burned through twelve million dollars in six months. No, it was like twenty. 20 million more than that. Yeah, don't, don't sell it. Yeah. Hey, oh. if you're going to televise like the fire, get the whole thing. <laughs> don't just cut to a little part of it. Lawsuit what, pending. What, what I love about uh, Vishal, I, I see the company, the company he was representing. I still to this day see their ad at like the bus. Bro, same. Every, especially I, in I Berkeley, it's keep, everywhere. everywhere. Bro, he's seen it in India. That's how I texted it's him. Still there. On the rickshaws, bro. Those little three, Think the three about wheel it. things. You bought the shit no one wants nine months later. <laughs> Exactly. That's the shit you guys bought. For nine months later, people are still having a hard time. And selling. like nobody's hiring now either. <laughs> so it's like you're seeing that thing and, and you go there and there are no jobs available. I, I would love to go on their website and see if one day like it just it doesn't do anything. It's like, hey, look for a job. And some poor student that has his hopes ups goes there and like goes there and nothing, nothing. Nothing's no. there, you know, just a gif of them laughing <laughs> yeah. at you. But back to high value. You were saying something In important. My, my point is. I've done this the wrong way and I've learned through my mistakes. Don't fake add value. Meaning just because you want something, a signed contract, this or that, like don't add value for the sake of doing it, right? If you're going to do it, just do it. And in return, if you gain something great, if not play the long game, like a really good example of this, frankly, is look, we're here, right? We're, we've been going full circle. I did not expect anything when I made the intro to help you get your last job, yeah. right? And we've been friends since then, right? We've we've gone oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. We've gone out a couple of Fridays, had some late nights, right? Oh, yeah. Like, um, and and that's how you build a friendship, right? So what what I'm trying to say is add value, but do it with no intentions of gaining anything. But sales sales is so stressful, right? And a lot of people, especially in in corporate, and I don't know if you've seen, you know, the TikToks are just people talking about sales and like you know Q4 and. Uh, 
call someone 10 times, email someone. I feel like the culture is very driven on on metrics and you have to hit these quotas. How do you almost, you're almost the opposite of that and you're probably one of the best performers that I've ever met. How, how do you balance that in, in, in your own life? Like, how do you not make it stressful? Maybe it is really stressful for you, but you hide it well. Uh, well, look, it is stressful. Um, I'll give a I'll give a couple of thought processes um, on this one. One, control only things you can control, right? In sales, it's the activities. It's how high. It's not even the activity. It's like how how great is your activity? Meaning, like, don't do things for the sake of like just increasing the numbers, right? When you do an outreach, is it the best outreach or best email or best phone call you could have had, right? So again. Control things you can control. Everything yeah. else, you're going to freaking kill yourself if you dwell on it. Mm. Um, two, make sure you separate the identity of your personal identity. Um, not And don't associate your identity with your with with, with your performance, right? Mm. I, I used, this used to kill me all the time. On months where I hit quota, I'm telling you, on Friday through Sunday, I would celebrate. Like, it would be the most magical weekend yeah. I've had. On months where I didn't hit quota, it was the most depressing weekend I've had. Yeah. Uh, right? Like, and, and that, not only is it dangerous, but you're much more than your number, right? Mm. You're a human. You are a husband. You're this and that. Like, you have to have other ways to identify um, your personality that's not your performance. And it's mm. really, really hard in sales, but you got to learn to differentiate those two. And the, and the last one, look, I, at the end of the day, I have a very simple theory on sales. It's building a relationship, right? Finding some commonality. Yeah. For us, it was Boston Red Sox or yeah. football, something, right? Like one thing that makes mm. you and me find some middle ground. Yeah. And then I hopefully identify a problem you have. In this case, you were trying to get your company's name out because nobody knew yeah. who the hell you guys were. Then hopefully you match it with an offering you have. Great. You're trying to go after founders. Guess what? I have this thing called Saster. It's where all the founders... And SaaS Hangout. Yeah. And then you make a recommendation on how they can hopefully get some value out of it. They either give you a yes or no, right? And you can't, I used to take the no so freaking personal. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm going to fucking fire this guy. Like that's, I used to like, when people said no, I used to be like, I am going to do everything in my power to get this person fired. Now I don't oh, even. Wait, well, now I don't even care. That's not what I thought you were going. I, I'm wow. just saying, like. <laughs> And over time, please you never learn. ask me for anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, we can't, we can't do this. Yeah. But my, well, like the Billy Madison on the list. But it's, oh, no. I, I know it sounds unhealthy, but that's just how competitive I was. That yeah. I was like, if this person's not going to say yes to what I have, I'm like, I'm going to destroy their life. Right. And it's, is it because you think what you have is the best? Like, what's the psychology behind that? It's as in like everyone should want this product I have. It's the best event. It's it's the most beneficial for you. You should pick me over everyone else. Part part of it is that because it's just you got you know you, I've I've drank the Kool Aid maybe right yeah. and I have a bias. But part of it is also maybe the competitive nature right. Mm. I've I've committed so many of my hours to putting this in front of you. You know now the least you could do is at least meet me halfway by saying yes. But again, as soon as I made that distinction of like if they say no guess what they'll come back at one point they'll say no you know play the long game yeah um as soon as i started not taking things personal um it was magic it was like a huge huge differentiator in terms of not only my performance you could see the numbers just went this way but even on a personal level just mentally i was so much happier and so much healthier mm. 
You know, it's, there's two things that are interesting. The first one being that you guys connected over the Red Sox when, you know, the first time you brought that jacket here, it didn't go so <laughs> Yo, well. I get, I get flamed in here for two things. Um, Red Sox <laughs> and Suns. Suns. And it's like, bro, the Suns don't Why? win anything. Why are y'all, <laughs> like, what are y'all doing to me? Like... How are you a Suns fan? I don't get that to this day. Even <laughs> he's flaming you. I'm not. He's not flaming me. I'm just no, because because of Nash. Okay. Because I love Nash as a kid, right? Took good. And 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 I'm loyal, so I just stick with the teams. I like I'm a Jets fan, and it's just it's never gonna change. They've done to get this year. They've been good, but it's 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 just I'm loyal. I pick I pick something, and and I'm gonna stick with it. And I just never thought. I'd come to a warrior city where they won so much and they still take pride in putting the suns down. Like, it's like you guys like what classless. I'll say I'm, that I'm a Celtics fan. So warriors fans classless. Yeah. Okay. Well, this podcast just got canceled. <laughs> we said, yeah, we're for founders in SF. And he said, warriors fans classless. <laughs> Love Steph Curry though. And Clay Thompson. Yeah. You know, the interesting, the second interesting thing that you said, um, I think was about not taking those personally. So, I guess it's very common to hear, you know, you aren't defined by what you do, but I think it's less common to hear, like, don't over-celebrate, right? Like, even when things are going well, if you put too much stock into that, when things inevitably come crashing down, you will go down with it. Look, the story I'll tell in this example is um, I'm a very emotional person. Like, when highs are high, they're high. When lows are low, they're low. you got to find, at least if you're an entrepreneur, a founder, a sales leader, that middle ground, like always stay at that middle little pendulum. And I honestly learned this through COVID. Um, again, Saster sells events. Our event got canceled on March 4th, 2020, because it was the day that San Francisco officially, right? Yeah. Announced COVID and proclaimed that it was a global risk, right? From a health perspective. But our event was two days later, the day we were, you know, loading in, we had to postpone and cancel. That was a $12 million mistake, right? Um, wow. Like, Sasser lost a lot of money. Uh, to this day, I'm still, like, impressed we made it through and pushed through, and somehow we bounced back stronger. But there were some really nasty couple of months of sponsors, rightly so, customers wanting their money back because the event never took place, right? Mm -hmm. And what I learned in that circumstance is you got to, you know, you got to stay in the middle. Getting on these conversations with lawyers and founders where, like, everyone was, you know, getting really nasty you just got to stay in the middle and find some common ground and mm. bring them to you know finding some hopefully happiness after very after circumstance that's completely outside of everyone's control do you right? pivot to virtual there do you give them added value properly how did those conversations go look in hindsight we could have probably handled it better but the option we gave people is we said hey you can keep doing things with us remote if you want to and mm. for some people they had to spend that money in that year so that's what they did. Yeah. And for others, we um, moved their sponsorships to the next in-person event, which was September 2021. I mean, that's something even we've talked about a lot. Because, like, to be honest, like, things are have been going pretty good from us from a company perspective for the last two months. And it's like, you know, making sure you don't get sidetracked and making sure you're still doing the work, keep your head down. Things might be pretty terrible in two months. I guess that's just something that comes with, with like, the whole startup culture. Um, do you have anything you do specifically to keep you not kind of jumping off the rails? I'll tell you what I what I think. Uh, there's a couple of things I've incorporated into my day to day, as well as into like just my routine. So um, every morning I start going to this boot camp. It's called Kings Camp and Fitness. It's in San Carlos. Um, it's a 45 to 60 minute workout, um, and it's 
it's purposely the reason I do it. One, it's the first thing I do in the morning. So even though I don't want to wake up, it forces me to show up and I'm just energized, right? It's like a different person once I get out of that uh, workout. Two, it's with other people. I'm competitive. So mm. it's nice to compete and see whose heart rate's more, who's losing more calories. Like that's kind of nice. It's got, it has that orange theory experience almost. So that that's one, like do the, do a hard workout, get it out of the way because you're energized, you know, you feel good. Um, two, uh, our little dog was here earlier, like go on walks, you know, take little breaks in middle of your day because it's just a completely different routine change. The one thing I don't do is, and I used to do this a lot is back to back to back to back calls and I'm drained, absolutely freaking drained. Mm. So now I, I make sure like after every two or three calls, I go on a quick like 10, 15 minute walk with my dog. Um, and the third thing, which we're doing this upcoming weekend, just go away once a quarter for four or five days and completely log off your work email, your Slack, everything. Um, so I do this pretty consistently now on the weekends. Where you do that weekends too. Right? I do that on the weekend. Weekends like... Yeah. It, weekends is like no slack no email like obviously you, in sales like there are times you got to check like the end of the month right yeah. i'm still checking on an email on a sunday or something but i usually am pretty good about not doing that like mm. logging off of that on the weekends and then during the week it's the opposite like during the week i actually delete all of my social media i find it very distracting so instagram twitter yeah. everything, like at least i don't have the apps on my phone you guys right? are you do the same thing pretty much yeah, I think for me, it's not as much a weekend thing. It's more just yeah. I try to always have apps that I don't need just off of my phone. I'm yeah. trying to delete social media in general. That might be my goal. But you need I, to use it as part of your yeah. job, no? Maybe LinkedIn, but not anything else outside of that. Twitter? Locked. No. no. <laughs> I find it so distracting, personally. Huh. I deleted, like, I think everything for more than half the year this year, I think. What um, happened? It was great. It did was you, like, did you feel like you lost anything? No, uh, I, I think I, I did a good job before. Just like my friends, like the people that are close are always on iMessage. Okay. Um, so it's not like I lost contact with anyone. It was just what I noticed was I had more time in the day to think. Um, and so there's this, there's a concept of like why you shouldn't have too many things on your plate at once. Right. Cause yeah. the most productive time sometimes will be in the car ride, in the shower, right. When you're waiting in line for stuff and ideas mm -hmm. start to hit. But when you always have something to kill that time with, um, number one, you start moving a little too fast and then you, you experience recoil at the end of it. Um, but also you just lose out on that like dead time. So did you download everything back? Are you back on social media? So I'm on Twitter. Uh, I, I don't think I took much of a break off Twitter to be honest. I, I just deleted the app and then I'd, I'd use the mobile.twitter.com whenever I use an app called Opal. I think it's O-P-A-L.S-O. I still use it. I still tell him about it yeah. all the time. Yeah. I still, at this point I probably tell everyone about it, but it, it will actually use the screen time API to block. Um, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, Robin, like Robinhood, whatever apps you tell it to block. And that's been super useful because it'll even block the website. And then after the eight months, uh, when I had COVID earlier, I think it was a month ago now. So I was just in my bed for like a week, right? Didn't yeah. really do much, couldn't leave the house. I was at my parents' place. Um, and so I started watching YouTube. I was on FaceTime. My friends were like, oh, there's like this, there's a religious creator. He was like, he makes really interesting Instagram videos. It's like, okay, I followed it. Um, and this was, I guess, my first time being back on Instagram consistently for like over a year at that point like I had had phases of like you know having it on my phone for a little and then deleting it but at that point I I, I tried to like really I don't I don't even know the right word but I tried to be very intentional about the algorithm so I was going in and I was like not interested not interested don't show me this you know mute people unfollow people whatever um, and I got to a point where I actually really like my Instagram feed now I still try not to use it. I have opal on it or I don't have it downloaded for most of the time um, 
but no regrets in deleting it from a year. I didn't lose anything. Uh, I, I, I think there were changes in my life that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had the dead time to think. Hmm. I think everyone should, or at least have Opal. So what was the changes? Like, what are, what's the top things you gained? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the biggest thing was I stopped being hyper-stimulated. Um, and so when you open Instagram or you open Twitter, like if you've seen the social dilemma, it's like a slot machine, right? Like you see like the likes, you see whatever, and you stop being able to spend time without being stimulated, right? And so I always had to listen to music in the car. When I was working, I had to be listening to something. When I was hanging out with my friends and things were boring, I would open Instagram like almost impulsively. Couldn't wait in line, couldn't wait for things. Um, and the quickest benefit was within a month, I started to be a lot more comfortable in silence, right? That sounds super like, no, like no. Uh, you know? That sounds great, actually. I should adopt, I should do what you did. You're you're pretty addicted though when we hang out, dude. You're always like always. looking it's, at it's, sports. At least it's sports, it's like, right? At least it's sports. It's sports. Yeah, I, I, usually I can't like stop. fantasy football, something. <laughs> Every time we've hung out, I've seen this. So. Twitter. I'm on Twitter checking the scores. Yeah, yeah. iPad. Yeah, I do think iPad it's, baby. Yeah, that's, I that's can't cool. even imagine when kids grow up how much tougher it's going to be. Because I didn't get my first phone until I was like probably 2015, 2016. I know that's really late, but that was intentional. I got my phone 2017, 18. Oh, so yeah. you're late too. Yeah. Wow, you're later than me. That's unheard of. I think I'm also a little younger than you. Wait, so. you didn't have a phone before 20? 20- I did not have a smartphone. I had a Windows phone. A I, know, you I don't understand that. I'm telling you, I didn't have a smartphone or anything until like 2015, 2016. That's pretty That cool. was fine. Wait, that was It was very late. Already like. Yeah. yeah, it was way, way later. Mm. I was, I, I, it wasn't a flip phone, but it wasn't a smartphone. But as a sales guy, like emails through mobile, you didn't need any of that? No. Zero. Huh. I think for me, it was just my parents. I had an iPad with Instagram, little black bars on the side because they wouldn't get me a phone. <laughs> no regrets. Yeah, I think that was honestly a really good decision on their part. Um, I'm going to try that experiment. Like no social media for 30 days. There's a with po- the exception of LinkedIn. That one, I can't. But that's social media at this point. It is. I yeah. agree. But like you still need to look people up, right? Customers and sports. Yeah. It's a directory. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things with social media isn't what you consume, but actually the the fact that you'll just be checking it at random points yeah. in the day. Um, even for LinkedIn, it's like, or, or for Twitter for me, I would schedule it. Like I would make sure I didn't use it when I'm out and about. And it was always like an intentional, okay, I need to check this person's account. I need to like post this. I want to see what's been going on around, you know, some topic. Mm. And there's this book called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. I used to be really interested in like this space, especially in like high school, my gap year. Um, I should read whatever I could get my hands on around like digital minimalism and productivity. It's one of those kids. Um, Cal Newport <laughs> writes good stuff. Really like, good stuff, right? And so in that book, he talks about, you know, you have to do a digital detox for 30 days. Yeah. Like after you read the book, get off all socials for 30 days, and then you can slowly start to add things back in a way that makes sense for your life. Mm. Yeah. But just getting that clarity of what you actually need and what you don't, super helpful. Yeah. His, uh, his book about don't follow your passion, like following your passion being shitty advice, like literally changed my life. It was... Really? It, his whole premise is... You can follow your passion, but your passion typically as a result of things you were really good at as a kid, right? So you're supposed to go through a hardship. And when you go through hardship, you you gain valuable skills and those valuable skills pay, right? So mm. indirectly anyway, that was like at least what I got out of it. And, and if you think about it, that's sales, right? Whoever gets started in sales, it's not fun being rejected. It's not fun getting no. Yeah. And you do it enough times that you become, frankly, like, you don't even care. Like, my wife and I talk about this all the time. Like, I ask for things just for the sake of asking for it, and I have absolutely no shame. 
And it's because I've I've been so used to hearing no, 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 no. That's a good example. Um, I love at a restaurant just asking for like people to swap things. Like, you know, like, oh, like Imran at Kanara. You know, like Oh wait, you're saying people that like just swap No, food. sorry, like substitute things. Like oh, okay. that don't even make sense. Like, hey, can I substitute the tomato for avocados? Like something like okay. you know. Yeah. And they have every right to say no. They're like, hey, that's going to cost extra, right? You're messing with the server. You just... It's just... Uh, it's like, Ruined the server's day. <laughs> no, it's not Man, like... This I'm, guy put avocados on a... Avocado instead of tomatoes? <laughs> pineapples on I, a pizza? Exactly, you know? But my, my point is... It's an extreme example no, because I, I don't do it. But yeah. my, my point is, like, I push the envelope just for the sake of pushing the envelope. But I'm yeah. not a dick about it. If they say no, like, okay, I asked, right? But that's... You know, that's my point. You don't get what you don't ask for. We were at, we were at Kinara with Imran, one of our, our friends from like the Founders Inc. community. And at this point, we've been to Kinara so many times yeah. that when we go, we kind of like, we know one of the owners. Um, and Imran, what, what happened? He, he basically asked, we were ordering a bunch of things off the menu. And he asked, he's like, oh, since he pointed to him, since he comes here a lot, like dessert on you guys, right? And the guy laughs. And he's like, "Of course." Like and then he gives us, like, he gives us like, he gives us food for free. And then he and also then he gives us dessert. Out, like, some wings we didn't order, and it's like he yeah, hit you up. Really exactly. Nice about it. You yeah. don't. Yeah. In the long run, that's good for the business, right? Mm. Loyalty. I built another relationship. Maybe you do some events. Anyway, you bring more well, friends. He's brought there. them thousands in business. <laughs> exactly. Just bringing all of us there. So there awesome. you go. Should we go there afterwards? <laughs> you guys should add to. this. You know, add like. Get them to sponsor this. We have their wings next time. Right, as don't encourage. He's literally been thinking <laughs> I, about I want to do for Khan's episode at Kanara. Yeah. No, and now he confirmed it. and <laughs> Giving you validation. Look, man, we're going to be at Kanara with uh, Furkan. It's happening. I can't even say no because he's. I got to defer to him on on this. He knows yeah. what he's talking about. Speaking of events, I want to run, run another set of scenarios by you. Okay. For putting on good events. Let's just say you raised $10 million from A16Z. Okay. It's a community or your, your um, target demographic slash community is a bunch of like people who just enjoy building, right? So very like kind of technical. They like putting together side projects on the weekend. What type of event would you do in a way of like, you know, we just did, we just did the raise, like almost like a, a community celebration type. This is a tough question because it's like, what do they enjoy as well, right? I could be wrong, but I think doing a retreat where you incorporate building team activity, like them learning a little more about themselves mm. and you bring some like super, super A plus heroes that they view as heroes. Like I would do whatever I can to make that happen. Mm. Um, I think that's, that's a good way to go uh, while also keeping it diverse and whatnot. You don't, you know, you don't want to have, but I would do something that's like very anti-conference and this is coming from a person that puts on conferences, Yeah, but like, I would do something where they get the ability to connect with one another, founders, executives, VCs on a much more personal level. Mm. Interesting. And would you do something? What if you were to do it more community facing, like 100, 200, 300 people showing up? I, I still think you can manage it. You just divide people into smaller groups. Interesting. Right? Maybe you do it by funding or industry or something along those lines. Awesome. So the next scenario, I mean, I just brought it up, but we've talked about doing some type of live event for the podcast. Um, you know, we have a bunch of really cool people in our network especially through Furcon's network. And so we want to do some like event that is, maybe it's a live filming, you know, maybe it's something else. Do you have any ideas around that? Obviously you can do something where it's like an AMA. You bring like, because again, you have founders. So maybe you bring a very successful founder and you just allow your audiences to ask this person for, you know, ask me anything like live questions. Yeah. 
Um, and then afterwards we go into just everyone starts networking, drinking and mm. doing it. But what's in it for them is they get to ask some very successful founder that's been there, done that a question. This is just a free consulting for us. He usually charges like thousands <laughs> for this. This was a great way to just get you in here. This. You're giving me way too much credit. <laughs> I, I'm good at selling sponsorships. I'm not like, you know, event production and putting it on is not. But you're good fun. with people. You're good with like character and people and understanding. Oh, like this person has this type of ethos. This would be a great event where I think I'd get the most out of them and they'd get the necessary intros relationships whatever they want like i mean that's very underrated especially you talking to founders all the time uh, that's not a skill they easily develop but that's something they might think hey i have the best product how hard could this be to sell well that that now you're bringing up something that i think every salesperson that's ever worked for a founder goes through which yeah. is look this past weekend my wife and i did like this little art like where we built something together and we get to paint it and whatnot this thing looked like shit, but I thought <laughs> I was like, "Oh, this is wholesome." He's like, "Oh, this thing was horrible." Oh, that horrible. you and your like you and your wife. She she did one like a cup for herself. I did one. It was like a Christmas theme. Okay, I'm gonna save you here. Um, yours was shit. How was hers? Amazing, like ten out of ten. Right? It <laughs> yeah. was like, and he showed it to us. Too. It, it, it was it. amazing. I'm yeah, telling you. But my yeah. point is, if it, if I were to sell this thing, I would not sell it for under fifty bucks because I would be like, I dedicated so much time. But no one's gonna buy this thing. It's mm. the same thing, right? Oh, like it's an interesting way of like at it. when you've worked and put your sweat and everything into it, right? Like you're gonna be like, hey, why can't you sell this thing? It's not that hard, right? And sometimes when you're the founder, you can tell the story, you know, like how you got there. Whereas you can't expect your first couple of AEs to have that same experience. Especially mm. a lot of the times they're much more junior, not from an age perspective, but junior in that experience and history that you have, that context. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that's interesting, you've done so many events, you talked about how, you know, running sponsorship themed events are a lot harder than, you know, personal get togethers. What's the biggest mess up you've ever kind of been a part of? I, I genuinely don't know if there's a biggest, bigger mess up than an event having to be postponed because of a pandemic. That was hell, man, for um, any like the worst, uh, worst interaction you had from a client. During that, like, man, I went on this podcast. These kids were asking me questions. <laughs> didn't no, pay me. I, I'm, I'm generally curious. I won't, I won't get into the specifics, but look, think about it. When yeah, March you don't have hit, to talk right? about the when, company. When, yeah. Tell as me soon where as, they live. As soon as the pandemic hit, right? <laughs> I would say March, April, and May in 2020 were yeah. awful months. Everyone thought the world was going to end. Yeah. I remember specifically the day that was probably the worst is when oil went below zero, like a barrel of oil went below zero yeah and some people were like just thinking like the world was gonna end like yeah, it was yeah. just freaking nuts so and then obviously we went into lockdown at that moment i remember that's when like you know the layoffs happened and at that time i worked for four companies sasser was one was i was consulting for other organizations yeah at plato even a tiny little company i got hit up they're like hey here's all the tools you're a part of we have to remove your licenses because we need to save money, right? Wow. Like that's the mindset everyone went into. Like, yeah. how can we, you know, how can we extend our runway? Um, and then next thing you know, the next 18 to 20 months was the complete opposite, right? Like it was the best growth you can have. So, um, but at that moment, there were a couple of startups that like came to us and we're like, Hey, sorry, we're not in a position to refund you. We can postpone the event. Here's all the things I can do that they're like, 
you guys should go and file for bankruptcy so maybe we get our money back. It's like, dude, it's not like it, it doesn't work that way, yeah. you know? So anyway, um, the the point of that being, that's probably the, the biggest mess up. But the tough part about events, he, here's the tough part about events. It's not objective, meaning there's a lot of subjectivity to it. So an example I'll give you, let's say you sell a happy hour or a coffee, right? When you sell these things, people sometimes may want to brand their cups, right? Yeah. yeah. And the way it works is if you have, let's say, a logo that's colorful, right, it becomes really expensive to print that cup, right, because they have to literally print, like, they have to run it, like, 50 different times to get every color yeah. the way you want it. So typically, you have to do that in one color, but that could be a misunderstanding between a company that bought that and the person that sold it, right? Like, so what I'm trying to say, and some people are understanding, whereas others are not. So um, it's those little details that, to me, is, like, it's not a big deal, but because I don't usually care, that's my personality, but some people care and they have every right to be upset about it. So you really have to clarify those little detailed oriented yeah. things. Oh, yeah. I've been there doing hundreds of events in different cities. We'd work with brands, yeah. but I'll never forget um, South by Southwest was Big our one. biggest activation. And like that's two cool. days that Friday, I think before when like everything shut down, they cancel it. <laughs> And I had like three trips booked. And then I remember that was, I had just got back from Minneapolis and that was the last event I ever did. And we went fully virtual, pivoted oh, yeah. quickly, called everybody. Hey, we'll start Stop doing webcast. So this is, this I remember, there's three events that we were counting on not canceling so we could put on our event. It was South by Southwest. There yeah. was an uh, HR, uh, not an HR, like a health conference in Orlando. And it was us. That was the only three that couldn't cancel because we depended on it. Southwest by South depended on the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone was waiting until the last minute. And then we all canceled in the same, same day, time, same right? hour. Yeah. I remember specifically it was a it was a Thursday. Yeah. Um, and then it was uh, very depressing. I went and went to some bar and I just drank my face off. It was it was fun. I just couldn't believe it was real. Because it was like people were talking about this, I think, weeks leading up. We yeah. saw people dropping out of like speaking slots. Yeah. COVID-19, COVID. And we're like traveling the world still at this point. Every week I'm doing an event. And we're just laughing. We're like, what is this Dude, COVID? Like, this is not a thing. We we had sponsors. I remember specifically we had sponsors. One of my biggest sponsors is um, a company out of Korea. They started hitting us up like three weeks before this. So our event was March 6th. They hit it up on like February 20th. Yeah. They're like you guys are going to do this event. Are you crazy? Like, what are you like? What What's your response? And I'm like, you guys are overreacting. Like we have these health guys, you know. Oh, so you were already putting in health measures at that point. We, we, I joke that we freaking told, we, we helped the government come up with some of these policies. So we, really? we had like no handshakes. We had uh, hand sanitizers everywhere. Oh. You were going to be thermal scan. Like, oh, wow. Um, and to, that's to Jason's credit. One of the things I give him props, he obsesses over these little details. Yeah. And sometimes when you obsess over it, you can predict the future. Right? Wow. It was interesting. We were in Morocco in the December 2019. So this was three months before. And I remember someone we were with, he, he read a headline. He was like, oh, there's like this new disease that was just discovered oh, in China. And three months later, I see another headline. I'm like, wait. It connected. <laughs> I've seen this before. Connected it's somehow. insane. Yeah. But it's so full circle because I, I would never be here if COVID didn't exist because I'd probably still just be doing that job, traveling yeah. events. It was fun. And then I shifted. I was like, oh, I want to learn more about tech and do this. And then I don't. I now mean, you're here. Yeah. But I don't know if you'd be like, if, if, if it never happened, I don't know. Did you, any, any changes you've made to. There's so many what ifs, man. Yeah. Like, 
You know, I met my wife at a bar and I bought her a shot of Jameson. You know, what if I had never done really? that? Really? Yeah. yeah. So you, you can always dwell on those what ifs, but mm. it's better to just move forward and be optimistic and happy with how your life is. Mm. Mm. So we do this thing at the end of our episodes. Do we want to get into that? Yeah. Let me. I have your Twitter. I have not logged into that thing. And I went back. I don't know, a few years. Wow, dude, I am scared. Why Twitter? Like, you should have done LinkedIn or Instagram I, I was, a little more active. I probably should have done LinkedIn. You know what the problem is? It's hard to, like, it doesn't scroll down. let yeah, you scroll. Pro- I hate that. I mean, Agreed. we can start here. Best Adam Sandler movie, you chose Waterboy. It's a great movie. Is that the be- have, you, have you watched Adam Sandler movies? No. None? <laughs> Maybe without realizing. I'm not a big fan. I am, I am Billy sure. Billy Madison? Dude. Eric? Happy Gilmore? No. no. What's oh wrong God. with you guys? We're, we're the old ones oh. here. God. His most recent one on Netflix was pretty good. That was good? Yeah. Huh. This one's good because you can have your... So February 11th, 2021. Tech folks in 2021 are either A, scaling or helping scale a company, B, launching a fund, C, or spending hours per day on Clubhouse. Am I wrong? Per day on Clubhouse. Where is the perspective change? Can you do like a 2022 or 2023? In December 2022, or let's just do February 2023. A, you're working four times as hard for half the paycheck as before. B, you hate your current job, but there's no jobs out there. Mm. Three, you're still laid off. (laughs) Optimism, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Are those your, do you have any overreaching predictions as far as, I mean, you know so much about SaaS, like any, any changes in how SaaS is approaching this recession or should we call it that? So here's the thing. Maybe it's because I'm in the midst of it. We in tech, maybe there's not a broader recession. Some are arguing that there's absolutely a recession in tech. Um, We, the layoff charts have been uh, nuts. It's it's worse than it was at the beginning of 2020, right? When COVID hit. I don't anticipate it'll get better um, for at least another six months. I think we're going to see more layoffs, actually. Yeah. Some people were meeting, maybe waiting for the holidays to be over. Like, there's different oh, reasons. Really? I, I'm just, that's, that's part of me, right? Yeah. Uh, some people were waiting to get fundraising, and guess what? Like, those doors are closed for mm-hmm. most we have a lot We've of friends. This, yeah. We have a lot of like friends who are waiting till waiting January, around, yeah. and they can't get good valuations anymore. Exactly. It, it's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna change like a snap of the thing. But with that said, towards the towards the second half of twenty twenty three, I do think we'll start seeing things be a little more optimistic mm-hmm. and similar to how. Look, the nice part about selling sponsorships, it's it's the highest nice to have, but it's not a need to have, right? Mm-hmm. And we've been we've been seeing in our little atmosphere and I sell for Sasser, but I, I help out with a couple of other conferences selling sponsorships. Yeah. We've been seeing this tie changing since May earlier this year. Yeah, so I remember like, you telling right? me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that it's hard. Like we're still getting deals done. It's just way harder, right? You got to be on top of your game. Mm. Um, but even in those circumstances, you're getting no's, right? So the same way I think tech was probably one of the first ones to get punished. I think we're going to be one of the first ones to bounce back. So on that, I want to pitch a startup idea. Oh, we haven't done this in a minute. Ooh. I pitched this to Jonathan. So Jonathan runs uh, local events at okay. Brex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I pitched this to him, but I have I have an evolution on it. Let's go. Okay. I listened to that episode, but I didn't listen until really? the end. Yeah. Oh, sweet. They do 200 events a year. That's nuts. It's crazy, right? I'm, I'm going to do a fact check on that, but that's nuts if it's true. 
Because that's a lot of events, that's a man. Lot of events. Yeah. That, like, but I think he counts events as like thirty dinners. minute lunch. That that okay. you know, like a stand lunch at Stanford with ten students, okay, like enough. he counts right all but of that. But that's still a lot, was. man. No, 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 yeah, it's definitely a lot. Anyway, all over the country. Um, but this is okay. So you're going back, keeping your clients happy. Uh, you you they make all these branded things, right? They bring disaster socks, shirt sure. walls. Yeah, they yep. want to have good conversations. They want to talk to people. Um, they have certain KPIs, yep. RFPs, meetings, demos, sales. You nailed it. Okay. So, me and him. Not this one. We have half a million. Okay. Yeah. Half a million. We have in the bank. Dollars. This is this is our job. You call us and go, hey, I have these three important clients. Okay. They This is their, like, lowest RFP. Sure. You guys come fake like you're a customer. Okay. Buy it. Like, we'll, we'll subscribe to the to the minimum, minimum thing. And that, in turn, will lead to so much more sales for you. And they'll get so much more excitement out of the event with like the breaking the ice of, oh, we already got one customer day one, 30 minutes in, we come in, we're like, what is this product? Oh my, oh my, I was just telling you we need this. It's, it's a CRM. So you're fake customers to get them real, real customers. customers. Yeah. I am 99% positive that's, that's illegal, I think. <laughs> so not only ethically, but I think it's actually illegal. But assuming it's not, and you could do it, I think it's a genius idea. He said, if it's not ethically no, all, wrong, illegal, we'll was, send you to jail. Oh, yeah, you should totally do it. The only drawback was it could be illegal. Since it when has be. that stopped any founders? But you guys heard about the Palantir thing, right? No. Uh, so pa- it, it came out to the Wall Street today. I, w- I would encourage you to read today. it. It, it got released. Um, it's been going on for a while, but Palantir basically has been um, getting hurt by these SPACs that two years ago were hot. Now they're they not. Getting hurt? Um, because... Indirectly, the they would support these companies that would go public through a SPAC, but in return they would get these contracts for the same amount of money mm. or an equivalent amount of money. So they weren't so, losing anything or gaining anything. It's it's like, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. I'll help uh, you go public, but in but return, that's the whole government defense kind, right? It's I like that's kind so yeah, I I could see if you like if you did it. Like, again, people do this sometimes in fundraising, right? Like, founders yeah. do this. Hey, you buy my product, I'll buy yours, right? To yeah. help gain, you know, some customer. I, I maybe can understand that if mm. you do it once or twice to hit some of the numbers you can do, right? Yeah. But to do it to the public markets, to uh, hurt, like, your average Barb who's putting her life savings, Because then you hurt retail up. investors, yeah. yeah. That's fucked up, right? So... Anyway, my point being, this kind of reminds me of that. Okay. So, but that's frauding public markets. Vishal, no, you no, no, remind no, no. me a lot hold about. On, hold on, no, no, no. He said we remind him of Palantir, a billion dollar company, yeah. defense company that's, that's highly de- respected in the space. That's defrauding space. retail investors. No, no, no. But you, he just said, let's, we can edit. Yeah, right. we have editors. I'm going to, we'll edit that. <laughs> hey, before we get called out, integrity, you know, we got to have some integrity. Of course. Let's play, let's play hard. So no for that, but we'll have more. I'm going to go back to the drawing board. Like he said, I can't take it personally. Yeah, you can't gonna, get him fired. I'm going to work. <laughs> you can't get me fired. <laughs> I, I'll tell you this. This is an idea. So I'll, I'll do a reverse pitch and you guys think. So look, I've been in this event space for a while. I would say most founders, most even marketing execs nowadays don't know how to do events well in tech. They just don't know how to like conduct events well. Like why do you, is it just to put your logo on there? I argue it's not. It's 
It's I, for people. I hate that when it's You know what I'm like, saying? Yeah. The goal is to have conversation, to drive interactions, right? So I'm thinking the same way you have a benefit broker, right? Where when you're ready to buy benefits, rather than you hiring an HR person, you go and hire this broker that takes care of everything. Mm. Do that for events. Hey, you hire me, I'll represent your brand where your buyers are, and I'll help you get leads. Well, like an, like an agency. Yeah. Like an agency, but the difference is, yes, there are companies out there that do this, but the goal is I group, hopefully, you got to be niche. Mm. I group like 10 SaaS companies, and I go and negotiate with different event organizers for all 10 to get everyone a good deal, and I take the, take the savings. Ah, okay. I don't know any agencies that do that, right? Yeah. Maybe that's in your February 2023 predictions. Now there will be one. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, bad. I've thought about this idea for a while. What do we think? I, I it, By the way, it's not like VC backed. It's, not, it's a yeah. lifestyle services business, but there's potential. Well, those the reason, work well right now compared to VC backed businesses in yeah, this market. The exactly. reason I would say I like it is because I think people going back to the limited knowledge of events, they over inflate event budgets in terms of what they think they can get. Yeah. So if you understand how to properly budget yourself and like I can get this level of branding, this level of production, this level of of service and quality, I can have a pretty nice margin on that and yep. keep the client pretty happy. But if you think about it, the other way is there are things that rinse and repeat no matter who you are. Right. Mm. There are things like Brex has to do it the same way. Like the colors are a little different. Right. For Brex, it's, I think, orange for ramp maybe it's yellow like what i'm what i'm yeah, saying yeah. is it's rinse and repeat so you just keep running the same playbook mm. right so you take their event budget but rather than having to hire 10 people you hire maybe three people to do the same amount of work right uh, i see what you're saying anyway i like it. he's the first one that flipped it on us and it was an actually good idea yeah well, I don't know. It could be illegal. Who, who cares, know. though? It who cares? Ideas are know, cheap. Man. Ideas are cheap. If you're listening Execution. to this, ideas are fucking cheap. Gotta you gotta, execute. You, 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 it's, 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 for the longest time, for as long as I've followed Harry Stebbing since 2015, I've been wanting to do a podcast. It took me until 2020 to get started. Mm. That's five years of me having this brilliant idea, right? Mm. So ideas are cheap. On that note, I feel like that's a good note to end on. Where can people find you online? Uh, easiest way is probably LinkedIn. It's probably where I'm most active. Uh, Poya Skui. Um, on every other social channel, I think I am Poya is the domain name. Mm -hmm. But I am genuinely thinking of going on this social media cleanse with the exception of LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone. Which camera? Dude, we're like 11 uh, episodes in and I still get Okay. Come on, that one right there. I don't know. Which no, one? That, that one. That one. Okay. Like you guys help. have a nice setup. Hit your boy up, support these guys. Thanks for having me.